the Gospel of John, chapter 5. And the scripture says this. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it, did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The Gospel of John, chapter 5. Amen. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for, for giving us who you are and presenting yourself father i just ask that you would uh bless us as we come near to you today god transform our hearts change us more and more into your likeness and uh just uh be gracious unto us help us to see and understand things that that we can't understand without you god i pray this in jesus name amen well good morning church how are we doing today it's good. It's good to see all of you. Um, seeing a lot of jerseys up in this place. The Eagles have recruited some uh, some new players. I like it. Um, man, it's exciting. Uh, there's there's a there's a, an energy uh, to today. And um, I, I was watching one of these uh, specials that they do. You know, they show throughout the week, and it's like inside the locker room. And so Doug Peterson pulls the team together at the beginning of this week, and he says, um, he says, hey, you know, soak it in. It's championship week. This is exciting, um, and uh, hey, just, you know, this week it's another nameless, faceless opponent, right? And so basically what he was saying to him is, it doesn't matter who lines up on the other side of the ball. If we focus on what we need to do, if we, if we do what got us here, if we work hard, if we, if we focus on accomplishing each of our individual tasks, then it doesn't really matter who we line up against, right? Like we're going to go, and we're going to take care of business, and we're going to win the game. And, uh, and it doesn't mean that they won't game plan for what the Vikings are going to do. It doesn't mean that they won't look at their opponent. But first and foremost, he's like, hey, let's not get caught up in the, what it is. It's another football game against another opponent, and we're just going to do what we got to do. And I think there's a real parallel in that to, to what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. There's, there's a call to us to really understand who we are and what we're called to do and what our identity is and what the truth is. And if we center on that, if we focus on that, then it doesn't really matter what the world throws at us, right? 
Sometimes we can get so caught up in looking at the headlines and like, oh, wow, look what's happening over here and look at this law that's going to be passed and look at this and, and I'm worried and, and the Bible describes this. It talks about being blown back and forth by different winds and waves and, and, and wavering. And uh, what God really wants us to do is to be so rooted in our identity in Christ uh, that we're really immovable, right? That it doesn't matter what tomorrow brings. It doesn't matter what today brings. Uh, that my identity, my purpose, my hope is locked in and it's secure and it's fastened on Jesus Christ in such a way uh, that, that I can go forward in, in his victory today no matter what happens. Even if the Eagles lose, right? We still can find joy, right? And so that's what we've been seeking to do in this, in this um in this study in the book of John is really just to root ourselves in the fundamental truth of who Jesus is, who he has declared himself to be, who the Bible reveals him to be, and to live in that solid reality. And so in John chapters 1 and 2 that we studied a couple weeks ago, we saw how clearly it was uh, Jesus is the light, right? He's the life. He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the one that was prophesied. He's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the Savior. That is who Jesus is. That's his identity. And then in John chapters 3 and 4, we looked at uh, salvation is found by believing in him. Not by our works, not by our positioning, not by our heritage and our birth, but by believing in Jesus Christ. That's how we obtain salvation and eternal life. And so up to this point, we're like, wow, that is good news. That's exciting. That's great. Who could possibly reject this truth? Well, in chapter 5, we see uh, that there are those who reject it. And by looking at the reasons that they had for rejecting him, we can get a, an insight into the reasons why people reject him today because things don't really change a lot. The, the same meta-narratives follow through all of history, and the reason that people rejected Jesus then are the same as the reasons that people reject him today. And so uh, Jesus makes some profound statements about his relationship with the Father that we want to dig into. Man, there's so much good stuff in this. Let's just dive right in. Um, and so we begin, we're going to look at the healing and then we're going to look at, at the reasons for, um, for, uh, for rejecting Jesus. And then we're going to look at Jesus' validation of who he is, right? He says, I, I see why you're rejecting me, but here's the truth about who I am. And here's why what I'm saying and I'm doing is perfectly right and just for me to do. But it begins with this recording of a healing. We're told that he went to this pool called Bethesda, which was in the temple complex. And we're told that there's a multitude of those who are blind and, and lame and uh, paralyzed that are gathered around this pool. And into the midst of this multitude of people, Jesus walks and he identifies this one man who's been invalid for 38 years. 38 years not being able to walk, paralyzed. And Jesus walks up to him, and he asks him a simple question. He says, do you want to be healed? Now, it seems like a pretty straightforward question, right? Like, do you want me to heal you? Uh, but the reality is, is that, that for many of us, and we can fall into this too, that sometimes we become so attached to our weaknesses, uh, we become so attached and identified by the things that are hindrances in our life that when it comes down to it, sometimes it's hard to let go of them. And so that's the first question that he's asking us today. If there's something that's broken in your life, whether it's a physical thing, whether it's a financial thing, whether it's a relationship thing, do you want to be healed? And you might say, yeah, well, of course I want to be healed, right? But, um, but how many of you have had that friend, right? Or maybe you've been that person, right? That you're in this broken relationship 
And every time uh, you get to, together with the, the people, uh, they just want to talk about the brokenness of the relationship and, and, and this boyfriend or this girlfriend that's doing them wrong and how horrible they are and stuff. And sometimes you just want to be like, hey, you, you know, you could, <laughs> you could break up, right? Like you could, you could end that relationship, but, but they become identified by it. It gives them something to talk about. It gives them something to, right? They almost thrive in the chaos of the brokenness. And some of us, it's true of us too, whether it's, whether it's life-controlling issues, it could be addictions, it could be, it could be financial brokenness, it could be, uh, we just kind of get into, well, that's just the way it is. Uh, it's, just my, it's just my temper. I was just born with a temper and that's my cross to bear and that's how it's always going to be. And, and you kind of want to look and say, listen, do you want to be healed? Because Jesus offers healing. If there's anything broken in your life, Jesus offers. He says, follow me and and, and I will bring you healing in one form or another. He may bring you actual physical healing, or he may bring you mental and emotional healing where you can get to the place where you can live with that, but in a freed way. But the first question each of us has to ask today is, do I want to be healed? <laughs> do I want to be healed? This guy said, hey, no, no, Jesus, I, I want to be healed. Uh, they, they would gather around the pool, and there was this kind of... Uh, uh, this idea that when the waters of the pool were disturbed, when they were stirred, that there was an opportunity to be healed. And so when the waters kind of rippled, and, and uh, I don't know if it was a spring that bubbled, I, I, you know, I don't know what, what happened. Um, there was a, the kind of the, the legend was that there was an angel who would come and stir, stir the water. And, and the Bible doesn't really ever get into whether that's valid or not. And so we don't have to either, right? So, uh, but they believed that the first one in would get healed. And so this guy's like, man, I want to do it, but every time something happens, somebody beats me to it. I, you know, one of the, somebody else goes and jumps in the water before I get a chance to do it. I don't have people to lift me and carry me in. And so, yeah, I want to be healed. I just haven't had the opportunity. And Jesus simply says to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. 38 years, paralyzed, unable to walk. And in a word, Jesus says, get up, take your bed, and walk. He gets up, he rolls his bed up, puts it under his arm, and he walks away. It's amazing, right? It's a, it's a miracle. It's incredible. And so we expect that the crowd will be like they are down at the link this, this evening, right? Like, wow, that's amazing. Oh, that's so awesome, right? But instead, what do they do? Look at verse 10. It says, hey, you're not supposed to be carrying your bed on the Sabbath. I mean, think about how crazy that is, right? Like this guy who they've seen for 38 years, he's been sitting there at the pool, unable to move. All of a sudden they say, hey, what, what are you doing with that bed in your hand? You are not supposed to be doing that today. It's the Sabbath, right? And we look at him, man, how could, you be so, how could you be so heartless? How could you be so lacking in perspective? But the reality is this happens, Right? That this happens. I had, um, uh, before I came to work at the church, I was working at a company over in King of Prussia, and I invited one of my bosses to come uh, to, to church, and he actually did, which was awesome. And it was when we were back meeting at the movie theater, and he came, and, um, you know, and then I was asking him the next day, I said, like, hey, so how did, you, how did you like church? And he's like, he's like, man, honestly, he's like, I loved it. It was really great. He's like, when I first moved to the area, he said, I decided to try a church that was kind of closer to where I live. And I went in, and uh, since I was new, they ushered me, like, right up to the front. They had me sit in the front row. And he's like, and I'm, as I'm looking around, I'm noticing, like, everybody's pretty dressy. The guys all have suits on. The, the women are dressed in their Sunday best. And, uh, and he's like, you know, the message was pretty good and everything. And at the end of the service, uh, uh, a man who uh, was an elder or something came up to him, and, and he shook his hand, and he said, hey, I'm glad you joined us today. He's like, hey, next time you come, you might want to think about wearing a suit. And um, so needless to say, my boss never went back right? There was no next time because he felt judged and condemned about what he was wearing. Now, at Riverside, obviously, we are not a dress code uh, heavy church. In fact, 
Um, sometimes if, if you wear a suit, people might look at you, hey, what are you doing with that suit on, right? Like, and that's just as wrong, right? Uh, any, any practice that you get into can become a tradition that's, that can't be violated. And so um, we should celebrate, right? If we're doing the kind of ministry that Jesus was doing, we're going to be drawing people in from, from a lot of different places, from different walks of life. Uh, they're going to look different. They're going to dress different. Um, but if they're being drawn to Jesus, we should celebrate that the way that they celebrated when that guy got up and walked, right? We should be like, man, it is so awesome that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. And it doesn't matter when they walk out the door, uh, if, if, if they, they go in a direction or they jump into something that you would be like, ah, I don't know about that, right? Because the reality is, is that we're not saved completely from all of our sins. We're saved from them, but we don't move out of them right away. There's a process of sanctification. God unravels layers of brokenness in us, and it takes all of us time. And sometimes we want the person who, who just found Jesus to get right to where we are right away. Um, but, the, but there's a journey and a process. Uh, you know, uh, we love to do this with celebrities, right? We look with real doubt upon them. Uh, you know, Justin Bieber is always in the news, right, about uh, recently they said that he canceled part of his world tour because he wanted to go back home and focus more on being a part of his church. And, uh, and, and people were kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, sure, whatever, right? And just kind of waiting for him to mess up, waiting for him to fall. And then when the next thing pops up in the tabloids, you're like, ah, see, I knew it. I knew he wasn't really following Jesus. Um, why do we take joy in that? I mean, if he's professing to follow Jesus, and I don't know where Bieber's heart is, right, you know, um, but if he's professing to follow Jesus, why can't we celebrate that with him? And, and, um, and people kind of second-guess, but I heard uh, the pastor of the church that he attends uh, was on um, Inside Edition or Access Hollywood, one of those shows one day, right? And, he's, and he's, like, he's like, listen, here's the deal. He's like, he's a young guy. And, and he's trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And, and honestly, I'm really grateful that there weren't cameras and video crews following me around when I was his age and I was trying to figure out what it looked like to walk with Jesus because if they had, they would have been digging up a lot of dirt on me too. Um, so there's this, this thing of like, man, if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to extend grace to people. And, uh, and, and in, in holding tight to this Sabbath, their interpretation of the Sabbath law, they were violating what Jesus said was the greatest commandment, which was to love the Lord your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so they were violating loving their neighbor in an effort to keep the Sabbath. Well, in Jesus, there's no contradiction between the two, but, um, but this, this is actually not a violation of any specific Old Testament Sabbath law. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy is one of the Ten Commandments, but, but there's not a lot of specifics given. And so, um, so what would happen is people uh, would generally assume, okay, whatever you do vocationally for work, whatever your work is, we don't do that on the Sabbath. We have a day of rest in the same way that God created for six days and then rested on the seventh day. Whatever our vocation is, we don't do that vocation uh, take a break from it. But then people would come to the rabbis and they'd say, well, hey, listen, I really don't want to violate the Sabbath. Uh, am I allowed to do this? And so what they would do is they came up with these 39 different classifications of what work is. So they came up with 30, 30, 39, did I say 37? 39 categories of work. And, and one of them was that you can't transfer anything from one domain to another. You can't carry something from one domain to another. And so they said, hey, there's this, uh, there's this interpretation that says you can't carry something. So by rolling up your mat and carrying it from the temple to your home, you're in violation of that understanding of the Sabbath law. And so it wasn't actually God's word he was violating. It was a, it was a man-made interpretation. And it started with a good intention. They, they wanted to help people, right? They wanted to say, hey, I want to help you not to violate the Sabbath, so I'm going to help you with this. 
But like so many things, what started with good intentions got twisted and turned into something that made them blind to what God was really trying to show them. And so the man, and here's the other interesting thing about the man. So often Jesus will come to somebody and say, do you believe that I am able to heal you? Do you believe that I am the son of God? Do you believe? And then he'll say, your faith has made you whole. But with this guy, they said, hey, why are you carrying your mat? And he's like, well, the guy that healed me told me to do it. Well, who is it? I don't know. <laughs> he, was, he was around here just a second. I, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about him. I don't know his name. I don't know who he is. I don't know how he did it, but he did it, right? And so it wasn't because of his great, uh, incredible faith that he was healed. In fact, he blame shifts. He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know who he is, but I'll try and find him for you, right? And then later on in the passage, he rats him out, right? He's like, it was Jesus. That's who it was. Go, go tell it to him, right? But there's a real picture of, of, of our salvation in that, right? Like Jesus doesn't look around and say, who's the most worthy? Who's the best? Who's the most special? Who's the brightest? Who's, who's the most devout? Who's the one that is worthy of the salvation that'll place him? He walks into a room and he picks you out and he says, I'm going to choose you as my child. Not because of who you are, because of who I am. It's by grace that we have been saved. Not of our works, lest anyone should boast, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. And so he goes and he, and he chooses to heal this man. And then he goes and finds him and he says, hey, see, you're well. Now sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. It's kind of a fascinating statement, right? And, uh, and we know there's another time when there's someone who's sick and the disciples are like, hey, is it this guy or was it his parents who sinned that he's sick? And Jesus says, no, 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 you got it all wrong. It's neither of those. It's, he's, his sickness is meant to, to give glory to God, right? So there are times in our broken, sinful world where sickness uh, difficulty, distress, hard times will come upon you, and it's not of your own doing. It's not of your sin. It's not because you messed up. It's just because we live in a broken and sinful world, and God's going to use that. He's sovereign in all things, so he can use that to grow and shape and mature you, but it wasn't like you brought it on yourself, but there are other things that at times our sin does bring consequences upon us in our life, and so we can speculate about what was going on with the man here. We, uh, we, we don't know. But, but the thing is, you don't want to, if, if somebody says, hey, man, I just went to the doctor and they told me this, uh, you don't want to look at them and say, all right, fess up. <laughs> Time to confess. What did you do? What did you do to bring that on you? If you got a bad diagnosis, that must have been sin in your life. Just confess your sin, right? And there's some people that take that, that line of thinking, and then that's their thought. There's like, hey, if you confess it, then you'll be miraculously healed in this moment. And I think that the Bible is much more complex, and sin is much more complex, and healing is much more complex than that. But what he's encouraging to this guy, he said, hey, I know I told you to pick up your bed on the Sabbath, and so maybe you're confused about what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't listen to the law. I'm not saying that the law is not important. I'm not saying don't be obedient. What I'm saying to you is you're healed. Now go and sin no more so that you can walk with me in eternity, right? The worst thing that could happen to him is that he would be separated forever from Jesus by not believing in him. And so Jesus encouraged him, go and sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now we're told uh, two reasons that they really highlight that they rejected Jesus. One was that he was doing miracles on the Sabbath. Uh, they couldn't square this up. And the second thing was that he was calling God his father and making himself equal with God. And these same objections appear today, right? Uh, this idea of doing miracles on the Sabbath, maybe it doesn't really look like that, but it's a challenge to a works-based religious understanding of things. When the work of Jesus challenges our traditions, when it challenges our, our theological understandings, when it, when it challenges um, the, the man-made rules that we've put in place of how God needs to work and function, uh, then we become doubters. 
And we say, well, no, there's no way that Jesus could have healed that person because they didn't do the right ceremony. There's, there's no way, way that that person could be following Jesus because they don't read my translation of the Bible. Right? We become uh, very narrow-minded and skeptical. And I'm not saying that we should have open... Th I think theology is really important. Jesus just emphasized that, right? He said, go and sin no more. Well, what's sin? Well, we've got to read the Bible to know. <laughs> we've got to understand. We've got to develop deeply rooted theological truths and understandings in our heart. We've got to understand and know him. But, but, we've got to be careful that we don't put Jesus in such an airtight box that we don't believe he can move outside of it. Questioning other people's experience of him that's in line with Scripture. And so we've got to always be open to that. The other thing is that, um, that it said that he was calling God his Father and making himself equal with God. And here's the reality that um, uh, a lot of people today would like to say, oh, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good man. He's a good role model. Um, he, was, he was an unfortunate accident. But he's not God. Uh, but the reality is that, that either Jesus was crazy, either he was insane, or he was the Son of God. And this passage doesn't really leave us any wiggle room in between. Um, and so, so the idea that, like, hey, if, you, if you're into Jesus and you want to follow him, that's good for you, but I'm going a different path, but we'll all kind of meet up at the end, kind of in the same place. This, this passage really challenges that thinking. Um, you guys, uh, you might remember, I told a story back before Christmas of, uh, we were doing some Christmas shopping at the mall, and, uh, and we left kind of in a hurry, and... Um, and when we came back, I came to find out that we were locked out of the house. And we didn't have any car keys with us. And we had a spare key, but we had given it to a family member. And just that day, I had been like, oh, it's getting cold. It's wintertime. I'm going to go around and lock all the windows so I really, like, seal our house in, right? At least on the lower level. And so I'm going around. I'm checking doors. I'm, like, trying things. I'm contemplating, like, all right, if I break this glass, what's the, you know, like. And finally, I realized, like, hey, I think the bedroom window uh, that, that's up above our deck is unlocked. And so if I can get up there, I can do it. So uh, it's cold out. I've got my hoodie on, right? I'm like scaling our deck. I climb up on the secondary roof. I'm reaching out over. Uh, I'm trying. I realize I can't take the screen off from the outside. And so I rip the screen and, and I'm like pulling with all my strength to try and get this window open. And uh, in the meantime, my kids had to go to the bathroom. So Trina took them and, and left with them, which thank God, because that would have been even more stressful, right? So I got to a point where I just couldn't do it. And I laid down on my roof and I'm like looking up at the sky and I'm like, uh, are we going to go, like, live in the field? Like, you know, are we going to sleep in our car? Like, what are we going to do? And, uh, and when I told the story the first time, the illustration was this. Like, um, hey, sometimes you just got to be tenacious and not accept no for an answer, right? You got to say, like, hey, this has to work. There's no other option, and so I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be defeated. I'm not going to give up. And so, so I tried again and prayed, and with all my strength, I was able to get it about an inch open, and then I was able to wedge my hands in there and, and climb in the window. And, and so that was how I told the story before. But as I was thinking about this week, here's the thing. My neighbors, if they were looking at that scenario, it would have looked really weird to them, right? There, here's this guy with this black hoodie on, climbing up, uh, you know, into this thing, checking all the doors, prying open the window, ripping the screen. And they would have been within their rights to call the police. And if the police showed up, they would have been within their rights, uh, based on the situation, to come out, guns drawn, like, hey, you know, get down, what are you doing, right? But, but imagine that I came to them and I said, no, 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 listen, I, I own this house. Let me show you my driver's license with my address on. Hey, here, my wife just got home. Let me, she, she'll verify I'm, I'm her husband. And, and what if all those things happened, but then the police were still like, well, you can fake a driver's license and she might be lying. We're taking you downtown and we're locking you up, right? Essentially, that's what the Pharisees are doing, Right? The Pharisees were within their rights to question what Jesus was saying and doing because no one had ever said these things before. And it would be wrong for anybody but the Son of God to say and do the things that he was doing. But 
when he presented evidence, when he showed them, I am who I say I am. I have the right to do these things. Instead of accepting it, instead of believing in him, they said, no, that, that's got to be a fake. That's got to be a forgery. That can't be real. We're going to reject you. We're not going to listen to what you're saying. And in a similar vein, if my kids ever even kind of look at our screens, I'm like, get away from those screens. You're going to rip them. Get it. Don't touch them, right? If I invite you over to my house and you rip a hole in my screen, I'm going to be really angry with you, right? Because that's not appropriate behavior. But in that moment when I was on the roof and that was the only way to get into my house, it was completely right and justified for me to rip that screen open as the least expensive way for me to get back into my house, right? It was completely right and just for Jesus to heal this man on the Sabbath. It was good. He was justified in doing that. And it was right for him to tell the guy to roll up your bed and take it home. That was right. That was good. That was just for him to do that. Now, if somebody else is saying, hey, I really don't want to violate the Sabbath, so I'm not going to carry anything from one domain to another, that generally is a good thing. But when the creator of the universe says, roll up your bed and take it, you do it, right? He's justified in doing that. And so listen to some of these claims that Jesus makes to, to prove, to, uh, to demonstrate, to point to his authority to do these things. First, he says, my father is working and I am working. Here's the reality. Uh, God made creation in six days and on the seventh day he rested, but, but uh, the rabbis and the scholars understood that it wasn't like he completely rested. The whole universe is sustained by God, right? Babies are still born on the Sabbath day. The planets still circle the sun on the Sabbath day. The universe is held together uh, by the almighty creator of the universe. And so even though he rested, there's some elements of who God is that, that never rest. And Jesus says, hey, my father is working and I'm working. If I want to give life to this man, a new life to this man, on the Sabbath day, it's my prerogative to do so as God. I love the second one. Listen, he says, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. I, I, I got to admit, I've read that many times, and I don't think I really ever understood it, and I probably still don't fully understand it, but, but this week I came to realize what's so significant about that. Uh, for you or I to claim that we are God would mean that we're claiming the rights, the authority, the power of God. And ultimately what it would mean for us is that we're claiming independence of God. I no longer need God. I no longer have to rely on God because I am God myself. And so for us to declare that we're God would be an utter declaration of independence. But what Jesus said is what you need to understand is that for me to say that I'm God means that I am completely dependent on God the Father. He and I are one, so much so that I do nothing without seeing him doing it. I do nothing that my Father doesn't tell me to do. There is no independence in me whatsoever. I am completely dependent on God. And as we grow to be more and more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, we become more and more and more dependent on God, not more independent. To mature in our Christian faith doesn't mean like, oh God, I barely even need to pray anymore because I've got it all figured out. I, I know how to do everything now, and so it's very rare that I actually need to reach out to you. No, it's, it's quite the opposite. It's saying, I can't go through anything without leaning into you. Even things I've done before, even things I think I know how to do, I have to draw closer to you in order to be able to do them. Have you seen that path of maturity in your own life? Have you seen yourself growing in your dependence on God? Have you seen your urgency for prayer increasing? 
Have you seen your, your need? Man, when there's a problem or trial, I mean, I got to go to the Word. I need to understand what God says about this. I need to go there first before I react emotionally or, or, or react in the way that my other people, my first place that I want to go is to God. He says that the Son has the power to give life in the same way that the Father gave life. He says that the Son was given uh, the authority to judge by the Father. The Father has the right to judge, but he's given it to the Son because the Son has walked as a man on earth. And if you were ever going to stand before a judge for that crime that you committed, that I'm not going to call you out on right now, but you know what it is, right? <laughs> Wouldn't you want a judge who's gone through that same thing? Wouldn't you want a judge who says, I understand exactly what you went through. I've gone through it myself. And that's why I came and I died in your place, because I know that you're not strong enough to overcome it on your own. I know that you need my help. And so as your judge, I'm willing to offer you forgiveness. I'm willing to pay the price in your place. That's who Jesus is. That's what he does. He says something really profound and, and something that we've really got to grab a hold of. He says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. He says, when you hear my words, you're hearing the Father speak. And so for somebody to say, no, I believe in a higher power. I believe in, I believe in God. I just don't really believe in Jesus. That's a rejection of God. Jesus says, I have made myself clear in my Son, Jesus. He is the way. He is the perfect picture of who I am. To reject him is to reject me. To dishonor him is to dishonor me. That's hard. It's one of the hardest truths of, of the Christian faith, right? Because we, 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 we want to be able to build bridges. We want to be able to say like, hey, you, you follow that path and I follow this path and, and hopefully God will all lead us to the same place. But if he's going to lead us to the same place, it's going to be the path called Jesus. He is the path. And as Christians, we have to embrace that. Because if you don't embrace that. It's going to change the way that you interact with people. It's going to change the way that you, you think. And, and this is not a call to all truth and no grace. This is a call to be full of grace and truth. I love you so much that I want to tell you the truth. And I'm not going to condemn you, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to empathize with you because I was just like you. I was disconnected from God. I thought that I could save myself. I was on this path of self-salvation, but then I realized that Jesus is the only way. He is the truth. And I want you to know that. We're called to be full of grace and truth, just like Jesus. Jesus said the works that he was doing prove who he is. He pulled out the, the driver's license, the birth certificate, the bills, everything. He's like, look, look at all this. I own this home. I can rip the screen open if I want to, right? Like he showed them everything. When he, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, when he himself raised from the dead, when he rose from the grave, when he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell, he, he has abundantly proven that he is the Son of God. And it's up to us to look at the evidence and say, I accept or I reject Jesus. But he has proven it. And lastly, he says, the scriptures and Moses bear witness to who Jesus is. You can't look at the Old Testament and say, well, I, I think that God revealed himself. I just don't, I don't know that I believe in Jesus. If, if you understand the Old Testament, then you understand who Jesus is. It's like, man, I, I love those Chronicles of Narnia movies. They're so good and they're so entertaining and everything. But, but if you don't realize that they are an analogy of the Christian faith, if they're pointing to Jesus, if you don't realize that Aslan is Jesus, then you're missing the whole point of why C.S. Lewis wrote the books, right? It just becomes this soft, fluffy entertainment, and it's not rooted in who he is. And so, so to go to the Old Testament and put your faith in, well, we have the Old Testament scripture. Uh, our father is Moses. That's what, that's what they would argue against Jesus. Jesus would say, if you knew him, if you heard his words, then you would receive me. Ask yourself today, what is it that's keeping me from fully and truly believing in Jesus? 
And if you say, no, 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 I, I do believe in Jesus, look at the evidence of your life. Is there enough evidence there to convict? <laughs> if somebody was putting you on trial for being a follower of Jesus, would they be able to convict you with the evidence that exists in your life? Not circumstantial evidence, like, well, we saw you in and around the church around these hours on Sunday mornings, right? But is there evidence? Is there fruit that is born out of the fact that you've believed in Jesus and that you believe that what he says is true? I pray that we would all live that way. Will you join me in prayer?